Welcome to Stocks Not Sports, the podcast where we try to talk about investment ideas in the same casual way we talk about sports with our acquaintances, work colleagues, friends, and family members. This podcast is brought to you by Infor Financial Group, who is committed to providing innovative, forward-thinking financial advice to all of their clients and customers. I'm Kenrick Sylvester, Principal and Head of Distribution. I have to note the following disclaimer. This podcast is not to be taken as investment advice, and participants or employees of Infor Financial Group may own securities discussed in this podcast. While we love all of our guests, this podcast may contain forward-looking statements, investment opinions, and comments that we do not agree with at all. Williams finds his halfback partner, Reese. This is Kyle Nichols. Oh, what a good tackle by Skalk van der Merwe in midfield on his opposite number. Here we see this great thundering tackle. Wonderful play there by van der Merwe. Strong, tenacious, committed, dedicated and tough. You would think that I was describing the captain of the Canadian men's rugby team, but I would use those words to describe Jamie Leverton, the CEO of HUD8 Mining Corp, a Bitcoin mining company listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Jamie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Uh, So I looked up your husband, Kyle Nichols, and for those who don't know, Mr. Nichols was the former captain of the Canadian men's rugby team. And the first thing that popped up was a video clip of Kyle absorbing a thunderous tackle from a player on the Namibian national team during the 1999 World Cup in Toulouse, France. Yeah, it was something. Then I see that picture of him uh, battered and bloody during a match. This man is in the Ontario Rugby Hall of Fame. He's tough as nails. But all I could think is, given that you're the CEO of a crypto company, Kyle may not be the toughest person in your household. How has the transition to CEO been so far? (laughs) Uh, I'm sure he'll enjoy uh, listening to this podcast already. Um, (laughs) So look, the transition uh, the transition has been an absolutely wild ride already. Um, in my first three weeks on the job, uh, Bitcoin has blown past its previous all-time high. Our stock has more than doubled. Unfortunately, the pandemic has prevented me from actually traveling to site to meet my team in Alberta. But everybody has been so welcoming in a virtual setting, not just the team, but our our board, our stakeholders, the entire Bitcoin community has been uh, has been absolutely fantastic. And uh, I honestly, I feel really blessed by the opportunity to be here and to lead HUD8 going forward. That's great. Instead of taking a few minutes to tell us about your background, we'd like to do a little speed dating questionnaire here. Where we're trying to learn more about you in a few seconds. Uh, you ready? I'm ready, I think. Oh, okay, here we go. Speed round question number one. Uh, what high school did you attend? Ooh, I actually attended two high schools. I'm from uh, I'm from Belleville, Ontario, and the first high school I attended was was BCI Belleville Collegiate Institute and Vocational School. Uh, but unfortunately, it closed after my ninth grade. So then I transitioned to Moira Secondary School, also in Belleville. Uh, go Trojans! All right. Uh, what is your post secondary education? Uh, my post-secondary, I earned a double major at the University of Ottawa in psychology and political science. And then I went on to Dalhousie and did uh, a master's of business administration with a concentration in marketing informatics, which was really the, the very early days of uh, big data. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, married with children. <laughs> I am married with two daughters and a furry son. Nice. What's the free son's name? Don't say Kyle. Dexter. Nice. 
Yeah, we like to say he'll kill you with cuteness. <laughs> <laughs> amazing, amazing. Uh, books or podcasts? Oh, I, traditionally books, but uh, since going all the way down the Bitcoin uh, rabbit hole over the last few months, I certainly spend a lot more time uh, on podcasts. Beer or wine? Ooh, wine. I love a very buttery Chardonnay. Nice. Pizza or hamburger? I'd have to say pizza, but specifically wood oven pizza from Prince Edward County, which, uh, which is where our cottage is, part of the greater Belleville area, the GBA. We've actually been there. We've been there. Oh, yeah? My family and I went there the last couple of summers. It was wonderful. Pen or keyboard? Oh, keyboard for sure. My hand cramps when I pick up a pen. Video games or foosball? Speaking of hand cramps. Ooh, can I answer Tetris? Yes, video games, Tetris, classic, classic. Uh, TV, linear or streaming? Definitely streaming. Tech focus, that, uh, that answer makes sense. Okay, music, the big question, R&B, hip hop, rock, pop, country, or classical? Well, given my Belleville roots, I think it's a pretty easy uh, country answer. Favorite song? Ooh, that's a tough one. I'd probably have to say Sweet Jane by the Cowboy Junkies. All right. Well, so what, from what I know about you, uh, you've had a 20-year career in tech that has taken you from strategic positions at IBM to Bell to BlackBerry to Kojiko Pier 1 to eStructure. Uh, please let me know if I'm missing anything there. But what I'm really curious about is what attracted you to HUD8. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so over my 20 years, the first 10 I spent uh, at IBM and the second 10 I spent everywhere else you listed. And really, that's that's because I developed a, a, a love for transformation work. So taking on mandates that required required transformation, required a commitment to to high growth and value creation in challenging circumstances. And uh, I absolutely love the opportunity to do that. I have focused on Canadian-owned and operated uh, companies uh, doing that work for the last 10 years. And the opportunity when it came to me to lead HUD-8, I just, it was, it felt like the perfect opportunity at the perfect time. I've been uh, on the fringes of this space, uh, Bitcoin and, and blockchain for a number of years, but really was waiting for the for the right moment to make a move here. And this just seemed like the the right moment, the right time, a mandate that really aligns with what I love to do, creating value for Canadian entities and and really being part of of driving evolution in tech in Canada. That's great. Can we talk a little bit about, about your, your last five years? You spent a lot of time managing data centers. Can you just draw the parallels between managing data centers and managing a Bitcoin mining operation? Yeah, um, great question. They are directly related. I mean, ultimately, Bitcoin mining is high-performance computing. We have 104 megawatts of power that is fed into 94 container-based data centers. So Bitcoin mining is essentially at data center management at just a different type of scale and where your output is ultimately Bitcoin as opposed to in the traditional traditional data center space that I've been working where it's co-location based and you you're working with a, with a customer base in the in the case of Bitcoin mining it is still very much 
data center management, data center operations. It's the output that's different. So what are, what are the key performance indicators in that business? And I know, obviously, you want to have a low-cost operation. Is that one of the main key drivers? Can you talk a little bit about that as well? Yeah, absolutely. Power is uh, is the largest cost input for any uh, Bitcoin mining operation. So having good, low-cost access uh, to power, uh, and obviously to a lot of power. 104 megawatts is uh, is, a, is a very... A large amount of power. We're lucky that it's that it's in two sites, and those two sites are are relatively close together geographically. One being in Drumheller, one being in Medicine Hat. So it allows our operations to be very straightforward as far as management. The um, the crew can drive between sites if required, and for us being a Bitcoin pure play, all of our attention is focused on on the mining and the operations associated with the Bitcoin network specifically. That allows for um, a reduction of, of complexity and an overall cost going into the business when you have that, that focus on Bitcoin. Again, we all of our operations are in Canada, so that allows for, obviously, the Canadian currency is favorable. The climate in Alberta, where our sites are, very favorable for mining operations uh, because of the cool temperatures throughout so much of the year. That reduces our cooling costs. Um, that's obviously another uh, important thing that you that you want to factor factor in. And then there are a lot of uh, of nuances to Bitcoin mining, in particular, that are that are different from uh, from the mainstream data center world. And that really has more to do with the uh, the operations side around um, the pooling strategy that you use and how the uh, how you're managing the performance of the software and then the ongoing maintenance of the money machines themselves. And then, of course, the servers, the hardware used in Bitcoin mining is different from what we would see in the traditional data center space. In the traditional data center space, it's GPU-based uh, servers. In, uh, in Bitcoin mining, they are ASIC-based, so application-specific integrated chips, which means they are the hardware is truly purpose-built uh, for Bitcoin mining. And therefore, having um, having hardware that performs to the latest and greatest specs is important uh, as you as you kind of manage your fleet of uh, of inventory. You want to you want to make sure that you you have uh, a line of sight to hardware that's able to perform in the economic conditions of of Bitcoin, which can be quite volatile. Okay, let's let's peel the onion on that a little bit. If you look at the definition of cryptocurrency mining it's just you know really defined as a distributed census uh, consensus system used to confirm pending transactions by including them on the blockchain uh, can you break down this process for us and how you execute this function at Hide8? Uh break down the mining process that is uh that is a difficult question i will try to do it in in a few sentences bitcoin uses a peer-to-peer network of nodes to generate, process, and distribute transactions. So miners are nodes with a very specific role. They update the public ledger by packing new transactions into a block of transactions. And miners compete to update the public ledger using a highly intensive, uh, highly intensive processing resources to solve a mathematical puzzle. And then the first miner who solves it disseminates the new block into the network and is rewarded accordingly. 
Every validating node will then independently verify the correctness of the information inside the block. And in the case of that being successful, every node links the new block to the previous block, forming an ever-growing, wait for it, blockchain. And then the competition starts over. So the miner who solves the puzzle is rewarded with a specific amount of newly minted Bitcoin, in addition to the sum of all the transaction fees for the transactions included in the block. So in today's environment, Bitcoin miners receive about 80% of their income, if you will, from uh, Bitcoin rewards and about 20% from transaction fees. So it's a really important piece of the uh, mining network overall. Uh, and then the other thing that is critically important to mining and to the Bitcoin ecosystem is security. The network is the lifeblood of Bitcoin in order to keep it secure, safe, and as robust as possible. You want to have an active, healthy, well-distributed mining network. That's well said. Another seemingly simple yet complicated question I think most people have heard the definition of Bitcoin as a digital currency, not backed by any country's central bank or government. But well, what is Bitcoin really? Huh. Okay. I'm going to answer it with two parts. I'm going to give you one sentence, and then I'm going to tell you where to go for a really, really deep dive in what Bitcoin really is. So in one sentence, Bitcoin is a digitally native store of value that is built on five key the five key properties of money, divisibility, portability, durability, recognizability, and scarcity. And in the case of Bitcoin, without any single point of centralization. So that's the high level answer. But the deep dive, the best deep dive out there for podcast fans, in my opinion, is uh, Robert Breedlove's series, What is Money? Uh, it's a four-part series, so it's one you kind of you need to, to settle in for, but it's absolutely spectacular. And to your point about um, Bitcoin not being backed by a government or central bank, Robert would tell you that uh, every piece of property in the world is a government IOU except physically custodied gold and private keys in Bitcoin. So that's a teaser for you to, to go and actually listen to the What is Money series. Oh, okay, that's a brilliant answer. Um, so let's go to Satoshi Nakamoto. So we, we know Satoshi Nakamoto designed Bitcoin to emulate gold in that it's a scarce asset, difficult and expensive to mine with a finite supply. Is he, she, or they brilliant? Or was it a moment of madness or frustration that gave birth to the whole concept? Yeah, I think it was none of the above. I think it was a moment of extreme clarity. Please expand. What do you think? I think... The white paper was released just after the housing market collapse in 2008. And I think Satoshi had a, a moment of clarity or a vision where he recognized that the central banking system set up in its current form that allowed the housing market crash of 2008 was not sustainable for the future of a healthy global economy and the people that participate within it. And I think the clarity came from obviously a background in cryptography, an incredible understanding of what is money and the 
requirements of a, of a truly hardened store of value. And through that moment of clarity, created a white paper that uh, 11 years later is worth just under half a trillion dollars in value. It's, it's absolutely brilliant in my, in my humble opinion. Let's, let's talk about the, the physics. Um, you, you alluded to the white paper. There are only 21 million Bitcoin that will ever be mined. And if you compare, compare Bitcoin to gold, the latter has a market cap of around US 7 trillion. I, I know you've heard this math before. If you assume that Bitcoin can take half of that market share, or three and a half trillion, then the potential value for Bitcoin based on 21 million coins is about $167,700 undiscounted. Mm-hmm. Is this math reasonable? Yeah, so uh, I'm not one to speculate on the ultimate price of Bitcoin. I will refer you to a couple of very interesting, I would argue, thought-provoking comments from Cameron Winklevoss recently. So Cameron and his brother Tyler have recently discussed their belief that Bitcoin will run to a $500,000 value over the next decade. And in defense of it, he reminded us that Bitcoin has grown 60 times in the past five years. To overtake gold, it will need to grow 25 times in the next 10 years. In other words, it will need to grow half as much in twice as long. He also goes on to point out that there are 3.5 billion smartphones on the planet. All of them can hold Bitcoin. None of them can hold gold. And I think what that really speaks to is the base of support and adoption that continues to grow in the, in the millennial segment for this asset class. And I do not see that slowing down either. So how will HUD-8 benefit from this Bitcoin blockchain ecosystem longer term? I think HUD-8 is uniquely differentiated from the other mining companies in the space. I, I referenced that are, we're a bit Bitcoin pure play, which I think um, is of great value to focus. I love that we're fully Canadian owned and operated. I think there are a lot of benefits that come from that. Most importantly, we already carry a large position of Bitcoin on our balance sheet as at the end of uh, Q3, we held 2,850 Bitcoin on our balance sheet. And that allows us to, uh, to really have optionality for strategic growth going forward. And it gives our shareholders the opportunity to benefit from an investment in HUD-8, both in the accretive value of our Bitcoin on balance sheet and our ongoing uh, production of Bitcoin at significantly lower cost than it can be purchased in the open market. That's a very good point. I mean, as of the, the spot price for Bitcoin and for HUD-8, um, your Bitcoin position is about 22% of your current market cap. So is the goal to keep that much Bitcoin on the books going forward? I think Michael Saylor has absolutely shown us the value of hodling Bitcoin and the market is recognizing that it needs to value that asset on balance sheet as well. Let's talk about Bitcoin's, um, let's say, power up and power down and power back up. So this time is different is one of the scariest statements in investing. Uh, <laughs> perhaps perhaps not as scary as the New Zealand All Blacks when they perform a haka before a match, but why, why are the fundamentals oh, yeah. Are, yeah, why, why are the fundamentals or sentiment for Bitcoin really different this time? So look, I think... Um, I think the macroeconomics associated with the global printing of money that has re- has occurred as a result of the pandemic and governments across the world trying to react accordingly 
has accelerated a wall of institutional money that is moving cash from their balance sheet into an asset class that is deflationary by its very nature. And that's Bitcoin. I think it started with Michael Saylor in, in his MicroStrategy trade, which has, has only continued to grow. I think he now has over a billion dollars of Bitcoin on, on balance sheet. And we've just seen every week another big name, in inst- big institutional name, is announcing a big position in Bitcoin. So uh, I think the last rally we saw was very much retail driven and momentum driven, whereas this time it is uh, it's driven by institutions. It's accelerated based on the, the macroeconomic environment. I would say, look, even uh, BlackRock CEO Larry Fink, who has historically been incredibly negative on Bitcoin, admitted earlier this month that Bitcoin could evolve into a global market and threaten the U.S. dollar status as a reserve currency. And that's a day I think the Bitcoin community never thought they'd see. Actually, um, I wanted to ask you, just uh, in, in terms of your professional career and your, your personal development, have you ever had a, a getter off the field moment? I mean, you know that moment you made a big mistake. Everyone wants you to shoulder the blame. What was your moment and how did you recover? I've been doing transformation work for 10 years in tech. I have made a lot of mistakes and I'm happy to shoulder the blame. And I don't think you can build a career doing what I do without being comfortable taking the risks and also having the stomach to manage the failure that that comes along the way inevitably. Uh, transformation means you have to move fast. You don't necessarily have all the data points you would want uh, to have to make decisions. And therefore, you have to get comfortable that you're not always going to be right. I, I will say that one of my biggest disappointments throughout my uh, my career was not being able to help uh, ultimately save BlackBerry's handset business. I went to BlackBerry and uh, really desperately wanted uh, that iconic brand and uh, smartphone division to continue and to be the third horse in the race against I- iPhone and, and Samsung. But ultimately, we just, we weren't successful. We designed and launched my favorite phone of all time, the BlackBerry Passport, which was a square design completely unlike anything else in the in the field. Every other smartphone at the time we launched the Passport looked the same. They were just rectangle pieces of glass. And the Passport, uh, it introduced a smart keyboard. It had the square form factor, which was amazing for any kind of media on your device. Uh, but unfortunately, we just couldn't get the consumer demand and, and ultimately weren't, uh, weren't successful in that pursuit. So that... Um, I won't call that a mistake. It ultimately, I would chalk it up to to a big disappointment. And what what lesson did you learn there, and how did you leverage that going forward? I think the lesson learned was really you have to have the war chest to back up going into big consumer battles. You either go all in, or it's it's incredibly difficult to compete. Just the scale required is is unlike any anything else. The smart the consumer smartphone business is an absolute monolith. I think that's that's what we learned. It's just the the war chest has to be so large 
and your comfort with the risk associated with it when you're balancing that against all the other priorities of a large enterprise and transformation. It's really difficult. Well said. So thanks, Jamie. Ultimately, what I've learned today is that you're the first real data center operator now in charge of a Bitcoin mining operation. Uh, Your business has leverage to Bitcoin, plus there's an operational turnaround currently underway. Uh, Is there anything else you'd like to add to complete the picture? Not that I can think of. As I, as I mentioned, it's it's three weeks. We have our AGM next week. We are welcoming two new board members next week, the week after. Um, we officially welcome our new head of investor relations in Sue Ennis, which I'm incredibly excited about. Just when I look forward at, um, at the opportunity to really create value for the Hut 8 story, and almost most importantly, to get the story out there. I think the story is so compelling and so few people really understand it. So I think I think really the first order of business for me is making sure that that we're getting that we're getting the story told as we as we continue to find um, strategic ways to create more value. That's great. We we, we would definitely agree. Uh, so my final question would be: If you could own and run a sports team, which one would it be and why? <laughs> Well, you're probably expecting a rugby answer, given uh, I'm very much a, a proud rugby wife, a member of the rugby community. But um, my answer has to be the Toronto Maple Leafs. As a long-suffering Leafs fan who is now raising two new Leafs fans, <laughs> and with, with my background in transformation, I think it would be the ultimate transformation story to take on the Toronto Maple Leafs and finally help uh, bring a cop home. Oh, man, we... Definitely are in need of transformation. <laughs> I mean, what, what, what do we do? We've, we've got good players. Is, is it coaching? Is it front office? Like, what, what is the problem with this organization, for lack of a better I word? don't know. I really, I, I was such a believer the season before the, the pandemic. And even the, even the pandemic season had so much promise. I, uh, I think the answer would be I'd, I would need to go in there and get under the hood and see for myself what's really happening because I can't explain it as a fan. Well, we can all agree that the exterior is pretty shiny, but it's definitely a leaky engine. I mean, they've got a lot of very, very good players. I mean, Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, John Tavares, uh, Freddie Anderson, Morgan Riley. Now you add in Joe Thornton and, uh, and Simmons. And again, still a lot of talent, new coach and Sheldon Keefe. But, you know, historically, this team has just leaked oil and we need to figure out a way to get past David Payne and the Astronaut in the Boston Bruins and finally <laughs> we'll bring a Stanley Cup to the city. So uh, now they're, they're trying to win and, you know, not to offend anybody in the Leafs, well, no one from the Leafs will listen to this, but not to offend any, anybody in the Leafs front office, but uh, you got to fix that thing. Um, so, Jamie, thank you so much for being on our podcast. We are very excited for you and the future of Hot 8 Mining. We want to wish you continued success and, and best of luck with your business. Thank you so much. Thank you again for having me. It was a real pleasure. Thanks for listening to the show. If you enjoyed the podcast, check your app now to make sure that you subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. I'm Kendrick Sylvester, and I'll see you next time. Problems and personal issues, stories that I make your eyes tear and wet tissue. It's true, I'm mad like the rapper. I'm so upset I gotta put it up in my rap before I snap or after. The things I've seen from Atlanta to Queens to the main streets of Brooklyn when I was a teen. Back and forth to the islands, screamed when I left, but adapted. And still my dreams haven't left, I only hung with the crack kids. Weaned out the rest, me and the roughest roughnecks went chest to chest. Now my best friend's locked up north, I won't rest till I 
I let him live his dream through me And I confess that even though both our hearts was dark, his was darker Best believe when shit got sparked, he was the sparker And when the block got hot, he was the fire starter And if I had